Right, good morning, gang. We're going to make a start. Um, this is really weird, and please, everybody, stop sending me WhatsApp messages and texts asking me to do shout-outs and moonwalk and weird stuff like that. Right. If you've got your Bibles, you want to want to have them open at Psalm 46, and just while we're all sort of turning to them, and by all I mean, I'm hoping you're turning to them. There's actually nobody in this room. There's just me and John. It's a bit weird, but no weirder than Gerald's hairdo, is it? So let's just begin our service this morning, and let's just pray together. Lord, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. Lord, this room is empty, but we know that you are still at work in our world. Times are strange. Times are a bit weird, a bit freaky, Lord, but help us uh, this morning, as we come to your word, your never-changing word, Lord, help us to put our trust and confidence wholly uh, in you. Give us faith, Lord, uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, in uh, 1527, there was a young priest called Martin Luther, and he was asked his opinion on uh, the sudden outbreak of the bubonic plague. Now, the bubonic plague was basically better known as the Black Death, and uh, the Black Death ended up wiping out about 40% of the population of Europe, anywhere between 50 and 70 million people. And so he was asked, Luther, should Christians run for their lives and get out of the, the, the cities and the built-up areas, or should they remain and put themselves and their families at risk by seeking to serve the sick and the dying? And Luther, Luther was told by everybody. He was told by his family. He was told by his friends. He was instructed by uh, the council in his city of Wittenberg to save himself and his pregnant wife. But Luther refused to leave. And instead, he stayed, and they even opened up their home for a uh, makeshift hospital and a morgue to support those who were ill and dying. Now... As you can imagine, there were many people who were opposed, many Christians who were opposed to what Luther uh, did. And on the other side, there were many Christians who supported what he did. Of those who supported Luther, uh, they wrote that Christians had a responsibility to stay in the city and to support the sick, pray for the sick, uh, regardless of the, if, whether their lives were going to be in danger or not. Christians, they said, had a responsibility to unbelievers about to die and go into hell. Now, uh, uh, these people also said if a Christian had took his family and ran from the plague, then it was a sign that their faith was either extremely weak or non-existent. And so despite all of the debate going on, uh, Luther stayed. And he encouraged other people to do so. And more than that, he didn't condemn any single Christian who wanted to leave the city and save the lives of their families. In fact, he said Christians have every right to leave and protect their families if they want to. After all, his reasoning was, if your house was on fire, you wouldn't just sit there and leave your children in bed and just say to yourself, well, it must be the will of God for my life. He said, you do everything you can to get your children out and to get your family safe. The same, he says, if, if a, a man was, was drowning, 
uh, and someone threw him a, 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 like a life vest or, or something, um, that man wouldn't just say, oh, no thanks, it's obviously God's will for my life to drown. No, he said Luther, you would try everything within you possible to try and save yourself. Now, Luther was a man of very strong conviction and he was a very controversial dude, but he didn't push his own personal viewpoint on other Christians. In fact, he rebuked Christians who tried to push their viewpoints about the plague onto others. Uh, in, in fact, he says this, he, re, he, he rebuked Christians who, who he says, they make no use of intelligence or medicine. Those who do not avoid places and persons infected by the plague, but lightheartedly make sport of it. They say that it is God's punishment. If he wants to protect them, he can do so without medicine or, or, or our carefulness. This is not trusting God, said Luther, but tempting him. God has created medicines and provided us with intelligence to guard and take good care of the body so that we can live in good health. So he wasn't against people saving themselves, but he stayed. And despite his absolute cast-iron assurance that God was with him, sadly, one of his daughters, when she was born, died at eight months old. And then later in his life, a second daughter would die at the age of 13, both victims of the plague. But Luther clung to his faith, and in particular, he turned, uh, sorry, he, 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 he clung to his faith and he stuck by and read and reread and preached on one of his favorite passages of Scripture, and that is Psalm 46. And it was here Luther turned to when the whole world was engulfed in a madness. So let's do this morning what Christians have been doing for thousands of years through all sorts of turmoils. Let's read Psalm 46 together. So this is God's word to us. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shield with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. This is God's holy word. Amen. Now we find three truths in verse 1 that, that remain fundamentally true in any age and in all the circumstances of our lives. In fact, these truths are eternal and they're the same whether uh, you're sat at home watching this or, or on live stream or whether you're watching it later on YouTube. So let's just look at these three truths. The first one we find right at the beginning of verse 1. It says this, God is our refuge. In the Old Testament, 
if you accidentally uh, killed a person, let's say your, your bull got out of the field uh, and trampled uh, a neighbor to death or, or, or whatever, or you were, you, were, you were out in the field doing some work and uh, you, know, you, 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 you accidentally dropped some machinery and, and, it, and it killed one of your workers. Well, in the Old Testament, you would have to take responsibility for that other person's death. Now, if the family of the dead person decided they were going to take vengeance out on you, you were allowed to run to one of six cities in Israel that were run by the priests. And these places were called cities of refuge. And so you'd turn up at the city gate, you'd make your case to the elders, and then they would let you in. However, if, you're, if, if, uh, the, if the dead person's relatives turned up uh, wanting vengeance, they were not allowed to enter the city. They were not allowed to harm you or take you until your case had been tried in a court of law. And so the point there is, uh, once you were inside a city of refuge, your safety was 100% guaranteed. And so, uh, uh, for the New Testament Christian, our refuge uh, is in Jesus. Jesus is the one who keeps us safe. Jesus is our refuge. Why? Because Jesus paid off our sin debt. He paid that off by his blood on the cross. And so when we find ourselves in trouble, when we find ourselves anxious, when we find ourselves in situations like we find ourselves today, we run to him for refuge, for safety, and for comfort. Proverbs 18 verse 10 says, the name of the Lord is a fortified tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. Proverbs 14, verse 26 says, In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and each children have a refuge. Deuteronomy 33, verse 27 says, The eternal God is your refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. In Nahum uh, chapter 1, verse 7, it says, The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in, in him. Listen, the world has gone mad. The world's in free fall. People are panicking and emptying supermarkets. People are fighting over bog roll, for goodness sake. I was in Greg's getting a sausage roll for the girls the other day, and two guys are scrapping over a bacon butty or something. People don't know what to do. People don't know where to turn. They're looking for comfort. They're looking for some sort of assurance. And the best the government can do is offer them guidelines. But even these guidelines, as we know, are changeable. New events happen. New information comes to light. We get new advice on what to do every single day. And I suppose it's going to be like this all the way throughout this time. But you know... The Christian, though, our hope isn't on the BBC News app or the, 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 the 24-hour news channels churning out all sorts of things, left, right, and center. The Christian's hope is in Jesus. He is our safety. He, he is our refuge. And we have the comfort of running to him for help 
because we know that once we are in Jesus, we can never, ever be lost. We'll never be turned away at the heavenly city. Yes, we take precautions. Yes, we make sure that in our spiritual zeal, we don't unintentionally infect our neighbors. But if an infected neighbor or or family member or brother or sister in Christ comes to us for help, then we should not turn them away. We should be bold and radical when it comes to helping those around us. We should be bold and radical and reckless in our love for when it comes to caring for the weak and the marginalized and the vulnerable all around us. You know, when we run to Jesus, we, we, you know, we, we may still become ill and die, but the point is we know that our souls are safe and secure. Why? Because of Jesus' death and his glorious resurrection. Psalm 18, verses 2 to 3 say, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. And if you don't quite know where to turn, the Bible says, then turn to the Lord. Psalm 9, verse 9 says, The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. Listen, Christians, The safest place to be is not self-isolating. The safest place to be is not in a hospital bed. The safest place to be in the entire world is in Christ. Nowhere safer. Now, the second thing we notice in Psalm 46, verse 1, is that God is also our strength. And notice, if you will, uh, the, the end of verses 2 and 3. Let me just read them to you again. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way, the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with the surging. In other words, if the whole world was to fall away, if we were ripped apart by earthquakes, anything at all, it would not matter. You know, there is, the reason there is global panic right now is people feel like that their feet have been ripped out from beneath them. Every single thing they had confidence in, their money, their jobs, their cars, their houses, their friends, their status in life, it's all gone. It's all been wiped out. We've all been leveled. Whether the homeless guy or the queen of England, this virus has leveled everybody. Normal life has been suspended. But in Psalm 18, verse 1, the the psalmist cries out, I love you, Lord, my strength. Listen, we're we're human. Christians aren't superhumans. Of course you're going to feel a bit shaky. Of course you're going to feel a bit fragile. Of course you're going to feel a bit weak and a bit anxious. And I personally think that's a good thing. Because an outbreak like this reminds us that we can build tower blocks. We can build uh, skyscrapers that reach up to the heavens. We, we can fly to the moon. We can clone sheep. We can, we've got technology that can bomb people thousands of miles away at the touch of a button. We've got our iPhones. We've got our iPads. Yet the simple truth is this, that in the face of this virus, all of that, all of our technology... All of our so-called power, all of our so-called riches, all of our so-called modern inventions cannot help us one little 
bit. Useless, useless to stem the spread of this disease. And so the only thing that people can do is hide behind their doors and hope for the best. But for the Christian, for the believer, this is an opportunity to turn to the Lord for strength. When our courage is drained from us, when we fear for our friends and our families and our neighbors, then let's remind one another that God is the only one who can truly strengthen our souls and help us face whatever comes. Isaiah 40 Verses 28 to 31 say this. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. Listen to this next verse very closely. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. You know, in 1 Samuel 30, in verse 6, King David and his men were off fighting these dudes called the Amalekites. And what happened is when they were off fighting them, a team of soldiers had sneaked back and basically murdered the families, the wives, the children, the servants of all, their, of, of all these soldiers. And when the men got back home and found this scene, they wanted to kill David. They wanted to murder him. And then we read this in 1 Samuel 30, verse 6. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But listen, but David found strength in the Lord. Now I know some of us are fearing, and our faith is weak. I know that because many of you have messaged me and asked me questions. But you know, sitting at home feeling weak as a kitten probably isn't the worst place in the world to be right now. They don't just sit in your weakness. Don't just navel gaze. Look to the Lord. Claim the promise of Isaiah 40 Further down in verses 29 to 31, he gives strength to the faint. He strengthens the powerless. Youths may become faint and weary, and young men stumble and fall, but those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not become weary. They will walk and not faint. So God is our refuge, verse 1 says. God is our strength. And I want you to notice the third thing there. It says in that verse, he is also our ever-present helper in times of trouble. Now, he doesn't just promise, listen, he doesn't promise we'll escape trouble, but he does promise that he will help us in the midst of it. You know, when I was preparing for this uh, sermon, and I discovered 2 Chronicles chapter 15, and it was, uh, it was unbelievable to me when I discovered this chapter just how much it resonates with our culture. So let me just, if, you, if you're going to turn there, it would be good. But um, let me just give you a little bit of background. God's people in 2 Chronicles 15, they're in big trouble as usual. It was the usual thing. They'd rejected God. They were knee-deep back in idolatry. And so God sent this prophet called Azariah to speak to the king, King Asa, 
and to encourage him. This king was trying to bring about religious reforms, and the people weren't having it. They were arguing with him. They were, they were fighting with him. The whole world was up in arms. All sorts of madness going on. And, but the Lord sent this prophet to King Asa, 2 Chronicles 15. Let me begin at verse 1, and he says this to him. The Spirit of God came on Azariah, son of Oded. He went out to meet Asa and said to him, Listen to me, Asa and Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you when you are with him. Listen up closely to the next bit. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Verse 3. For a long time Israel was without the true God, without a priest to teach and without the law. But in their distress, they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him, and he was found by them. Listen to verse 5 and tell me this isn't freaky. In those days, it was not safe to travel about, for all the inhabitants of the land were in great turmoil. One nation was being crushed by another and one city by another because God was troubling them with every kind of distress. But as for you, be strong and do not give up for your work will be rewarded. Psalm 108 verse 12 says, Give us help from trouble, for vain is the help of man. Psalm 121 says, verses 1 and 2, I will lift up my eyes unto the hills. From where, where comes my help? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Remember something in all of this. God has, for whatever reasons, permitted the outbreak of this virus. Now, you can all sit at home or go onto Google or WhatsApp or whatever we're doing and intellectually debate what this means. Or the scripture said to King Asa, the psalmist say to us, we can seek him. And when we do, he promises that not only will we find him, but that he will help us. And I believe God's will for us in this time is to just take stock of our life. Look around your kitchen. Look around your room. Look around at all the things that we surround ourselves. These things that we think isolates us from pain and death and suffering. We're used to this standard of life. We're used to walking and going about freely and living life a certain way. And yet we don't realize that most of the rest of the planet don't live like this. And yet when it comes to us... We're frightened. We freak out. We panic. But I think this is a good thing. I think in the great purposes of God, we can use this opportunity, if we're self-isolating, whatever we're doing, to spend some time with the Lord. Seek the Lord. Turn to him for strength and help. And if you don't know how to do that, just ask him. Lord, I'm weak. My faith is weak. I'm doubting. I'm fearful. Please, Lord, help me by the power of your spirit. You know, one thing is for certain, over the next three months or so, this virus and all the restrictions that will follow will very quickly identify where our hope and strength lies. And if our strength is found in anything other than Jesus, then whatever it is, whoever it is we're trusting, it's all going to let us down. Now, if these things are true, if God is our refuge, if God is our strength, if God is our 
ever-present help in times of trouble, then Psalm 46 verse 1 should lead us easily into verse 2. And there the psalmist says, therefore, we will not fear. You see, faith, not fear, ought to be our response in these troubled times. Listen, I've listened to leader after leader telling us that we live in unprecedented times. Well, let me be clear to you, we don't. It's not a special generation. This worldwide disasters like this have been happening since the fall in the Garden of Eden. Do you know in the 1500s, when the Black Death broke out, as I already said, it killed tens of millions of people. But you could go further back to the late 14, from, from the late 1400s to the mid-1600s, plagues broke out, broke out across the world at the average of once every nine years. You think about that, almost 200 years, once every nine years, there was, a, there was a worldwide pandemic. And the death toll was astronomical, off the charts. If you go further back in time to the Roman Emperor, uh, Empire, for 13 years during the uh, Roman Empire, there was a worldwide plague that was killing 5,000 people a day in Rome alone. And there was massive hysteria. Massive panic. People were trying to flee the cities in huge numbers to get to the countrysides in order to escape the disease. People trampled over their own children and relatives in a desperate bid to escape death. Christians, however, stayed behind to care for the sick and the dying. And not only that, to bury the dead. And years later, years later, one emperor by the name of Julius, he wrote to his pagan priests, and he wrote and he said to them, it's a disgrace that these Christians support not only their own poor, but they support ours as well. And there's a historian called Rodney Stark, and he records in Roman times that the Christian attitude toward the plague, the disregard they had for their own lives as they sought to comfort their neighbors, those two factors alone were one of the main reasons, or sorry, not alone, but those two factors were, were, were a couple of the main reasons why the Christian faith exploded so rapidly in Rome. You see, non-Christians back then were, were not concerned with preserving their own lives. They were concerned with their neighbors. Non-Christians were concerned with preserving their own lives, whereas the early church emphasized an incredible, reckless, self-sacrificial love that resulted in the death of tens of thousands of believers. But when the plague had passed and those who were sick and who had been nursed to health by Christians, millions almost overnight came to faith in Jesus because these believers lived fearlessly. Luther believed so strongly in Psalm 41 that he lived his life in the light of verse 2, fearlessly. Now listen, of course you have the right to protect yourself from the virus. No, it does not make you weak if you self-isolate. At Nidri, the elders lead a church of 80 members and probably minister to 100 or more so out with that regularly. We announced measures this week to protect the membership and the community, and we sent you all 
several emails. And, and as you can imagine, there were differing opinions on our decisions. Some people supported us. Some people wanted clarification. Some people disagreed with us. Some of you think we should self-isolate. Everybody should just self-isolate and not deliberately put a, a burden on the, on the NHS. Others think that Christians should be at the forefront of the community. And we should be open as normal, open the cafe as normal to serve people, regardless of whether we get the virus or not. Let me remind you, regardless of your view, but my view is we should obey the law, where that law does not come into conflict with the Christian faith. But let me remind you, as your pastor, that in these days of fake news and internet rumors, we must not be tempted to question the motivation of others in the church who disagree with you. This is the big problem. Somebody makes one decision for their family, another family makes another decision. Both question the other's motivation. That is not the way to handle these things. You know, some felt it was a sign of weak faith to close the Sunday gathering. Others felt strongly it would have been extremely irresponsible to carry on it. At the end of the day, the government took the decision out of our hands by calling for a closure of all public meeting places, including churches. Now, here's what, I've, uh, here's what people fighting over bog roll has shown me, or Greg's sausage rolls. I mean, I don't eat Greg's, but he can't be that good, surely, right? Here's what uh, listening and receiving emails and listening to the chat of Christians over the last few weeks has shown me. Even in a global pandemic, even in the midst of all of this illness, the human heart is still deceitfully wicked above all things. So I keep reading things in the papers like, what's wrong with people and why are people so selfish? People trampling over one another, pushing elderly people out of the way to get some hand sanitizer or an extra packet of digestives. Christians disagreeing about the best way to handle the virus. Christians complaining about the best way for elders to handle the church. Let me encourage you, in your fear, do not sin against the Lord. And do not sin against one another. Satan is at work. He's at work. And trust me, he will bring disunity to the church where he can, especially now. So don't gossip about others. Don't pass around that fake news you found online. Pray. Pray for your own heart as I pray for mine. Pray for your own motivation as I pray for mine. Pray in your groups that we've set up on, on WhatsApp and, and, and Zoom. Look after the elderly in your groups. Make sure you regularly contact them, particularly those who have no access to social media. Ask for prayer updates. Ask them how you can serve them practically. If you feel that we've missed somebody or something in our efforts to pass to you, then don't hesitate to email me, text me, or call me. Just don't attribute bad motivation to things or people we may have overlooked. Fear and panic, you know, can cause us to do and say things we will later regret. But fear and panic 
like everything else, show truly what's in the heart. And the point is, for all of us, is that our decisions should not be informed by panic or fear. God is still on the throne. God is fully aware of this situation. He's in complete control. I, again, I've said it before, let me repeat it for you. I personally believe this is one of the greatest opportunities we have had for generations to serve not just our membership, but our neighbors and the wider community. We have Jesus. We have faith. We have hope. We have access to his strength, his peace, and his joy. There are thousands outside our doors and all around us who are panicked and scared and isolated, and they've got nothing. People who felt lonely before are going to feel twice as lonely now. People extremely panicked and frightened, people with, with, with often uh, complex uh, emotional and mental health issues. And so we should be seeking uh, any and all opportunities we can to love our neighbors as ourselves. People are tumbling toward a lost eternity. And I can assure you that catching the coronavirus is the least of their problems. So, so even in withdrawing to protect ourselves, please do not withdraw the gospel as well. Do not pull the drawbridge up on the gospel of Jesus. If you're going to the shops, then buy extra not for your own cupboard, but for those who can't get out. Seek to do good. Seek to serve whenever and wherever you can. This is how Luther put it back in the day. He didn't exactly put it like this, but I made it a bit more understandable. He says, this I well know, that if it were Christ or his mother who were laid low by illness, everybody would gladly seek to serve or help him. Everyone would be bold and fearless. Nobody would flee. Everyone would come running to him. Therefore, if you wish to serve Christ and to wait on him very well, you have your sick neighbors close at hand. Go to them and serve them, and you will surely find Christ in them. You know, I would never dream of abandoning my own children in the face of this disease, and nor will I abandon uh, my flock here in Nidri, either the members of this church or, or the people in this community, regardless of who they are. Remember, when we care for the sick, the lowly, the outcast, the disease, we care for Jesus. 1 John 3.16 says, this is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And you know, as your pastor, I am touched by many people's concerns for my health and well-being. And despite my underlying health conditions, I, uh, I have no need to self-isolate at this time. If and when the law changes, and we're all forced to stay indoors regardless, then it will be a different matter. But right now, I feel my responsibility is to shepherd the flock and that out far outweighs my personal health. Now, before I get texts and emails calling, you know, say I've got a martyr complex. No, I don't. Hear what I'm saying. I will not deliberately infect someone if I know I am sick, okay? I will follow all the government guidelines to the best of my ability unless it comes in direct contrast or conflict with my faith. 
So, but for instance, I will not hesitate to visit and pastor anyone at all in my community, even if they're ill with the virus. John 10 verse 11 says this, a good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. To be clear, I do not expect members of the church to do that. But I would respect uh, if you decided for the sake of the gospel to visit and pray with your sick relatives, especially those who are frail and elderly, who are frightened and have no real clue about what's going on. Remember, in our world, we all have different responsibilities and we all take different risks. Doctors and nurses are not leaving their posts uh, in the face of what is to come. The shops are trying to stay open to feed us. The police will continue to uphold law and order. Mothers and fathers will still continue to try and love and protect their children. The social services will try to protect and home vulnerable children and their families. And, And as a pastor, I have the same responsibilities each individual Christian has. Again, Luther writes, Likewise, fathers and mothers are bound by God's law to serve and help their children, and children their fathers and mothers. Likewise, paid public servants such as city physicians, city clerks, constables, or whatever their titles, should not flee unless they provide capable substitutes who are acceptable to their employer. We look to the well-being of the household of God, but we also look to the well-being of our neighbors. The good of their souls outweighs our physical health by a long, long margin. Again, as I've said, and I'll repeat, by all means, withdraw to protect yourself, but not at the expense of the gospel. What a time for Christians to show they're different. Christians in China took to the streets to hand out masks and bottles of water to help people. Christians around the world are doing the same. Now, don't be stupid, don't take unnecessary risks, but don't be driven by fear. We've handed out cards in the community with a number for people to ring should they want food or help or prayer. And if you're watching this either live now from the community, you're not a member of our church, or if you're watching it on YouTube and you're in the area and you, and you need help, I'm sure, John, we can make that number available somehow on YouTube or online. You can help, you can find out more in the church about this from Tasha. You know, maybe the cautious, the super cautious among us should be more reckless. Maybe the super reckless among us should be more cautious. Think of the Lord Jesus. He leaves a glorious, pain-free, disease-free, perfect, eternal, Trinitarian community. Think of his reckless love comes to earth as a man, walks among the poor, walks among the diseased, the outcast, the rejected. And that same reckless, sinless, perfect love took him to the cross and now sees him reigning right now in heaven. You know, this pandemic is probably the greatest evangelistic opportunity the church is going to have for a very long time. Let's use it for the glory of God, for the glory of his kingdom, for the good of our communities. If we're tempted by fear, let us remind ourselves of 2 Timothy 1 verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment.
Again, we have two responses to this current crisis. Faith or fear. We don't have a crystal ball. We don't know how bad it's going to get. We don't even know what the future's going to hold. The brilliant thing, though, is you don't have to worry. Romans 8, 38. I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other thing, created thing, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do we believe that? How many years have you sat in a church, in this church, and come in week in, week out, and heard the gospel, and heard the truths, and heard these promises, and now it's right up in your face? What are you going to do about it? Is it really true? Do you really believe these things? Listen, this pandemic will come and go as others have before it. And as yet, other nameless horrors will probably come in their, in their place, possibly in our lifetimes. Is it times like this our faith is tested? Will it hold strong? Even in the face of death. Will we sit, will we sit at home glued to the TV or our smartphones worrying about each newsflash? Or we go about our business prayerful, watchful, yet hopeful, full of peace, knowing, trusting our souls to God. Do not fear, brothers and sisters. We've got nothing to fear when the end comes. One day, our fear, our troubles and our worries will fade like every, like the Romans before it, like Luther, bef you know, 500 years ago, we'll fade into the mist of time and we'll be with our king. We'll be in peace, free from disease, free from worry, free from death. I love how Psalm 46 ends. Look at verse 10 and 11. Stop your fighting and know that I am God. Exalted among the nations, exalted on the earth. Many people translate stop your fighting as be still. The Lord of the armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. God has not self-isolated in heaven. He's not retreated behind his heavenly throne, waiting for it to all blow over. He sees all. He knows all. He rules over all. Let me leave you with this. There is a tiny little world, sorry, a tiny little word right at the end of Psalm 46. If you've got an NIV Bible, you won't see it. It's probably in a little footnote tucked away, but trust me, it's there. A little word is called Selah, S-E-L-A-H. There's a debate about its meaning, but basically it means to take time out, pause, reflect. And so if you find your mind wandering into worry in the coming weeks or panicking about whether there'll be enough food in the shops or whether you'll be able to get your prescription or how your old ma is doing, the psalmist says, Selah. You could probably translate it as, chill out, peeps. Just keep coming back to Psalm 46. Every single God-breathed word of it is true. Even in this crisis. Doesn't matter who you are or where you're from. Africa, China, America, Scotland. Doesn't matter. Every single word is true. Every single word is relevant for every situation. God's word and his promises remain the same. So whatever God has got in store for us today, seller. Pause and reflect on what Jesus has done. Saved you from your sins, granted you salvation, and a seat 
at the heavenly feast when the end of life comes. You don't have to fight this battle alone. You don't have to bear our burdens ourselves. We come to Jesus. We run to Jesus. He's our strength. He's our help. We, we stay connected through our little community, prayer groups, and social media. Let me leave you with Jesus' words in Matthew 11, verse 28 and 29. This is what he says to us. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble. I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Trust in the Lord, honestly. Trust in him. As not let us down so far, and he won't let us down ever, even if we get sick and die. It's a win. It's a win for us, for those of us who are trusting in Jesus. And if you're watching this and you're not trusting in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then what is your hope in? What are you trusting in? The doctors? The medical professionals? Brilliant, wonderful as they are, they can merely try and contain the virus and ease the symptoms, but my understanding is there's no cure. The government is ever-changing, but there is one never-changing God, God Almighty. And he says, listen, sinners, turn from your sin. Turn from your selfish, rebellious ways. Put your faith and trust in Jesus and run to him. And trust me, he will accept you. Amen.